This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to Coindesk TV and The Hash. It's Zach, it's Will, it's Jen, and who is this? We have a new host here. This is the host of The O Show, Crypto, Wendy O. Wendy, how you doing? I'm doing amazing. I am so excited to be live with you guys. I feel like this is going to be super fun. And when I heard you doing the intro, I was like, oh my gosh, should I do Welcome Back to the O Show, Everything Crypto and NFTs Every Day, smash that like button? But then I remembered, I'm with you amazing people, so I'm hyped to be here. That's right. Smash People can still like smash button. our yeah. like button. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> here, let me, let me do the YouTube thing. Do it, guys. guys, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, smash that like button. Make sure to follow it's us, support, boost the algo. Let's go. That's right. All right. The hash is here it. to get you Juice up it. to speed on the latest in crypto news. And we are going to take a bit of a field trip to the ballpark. Take it away. This is not a sports test thing, so you don't have to hit that thing. Anyway. <laughs> what we did yesterday, <laughs> me and a couple of reporters, yeah. Danny <laughs> Nelson and Eli Tan, we took a little road trip down the I-95 and we went to Nationals Park in our nation's capital, where <laughs> you may have noticed, Tara has sponsored the stuff right behind the home plate. So they are highly visible at the stadium. They put $38 million behind the Terra Club, which is sort of like the luxury thing right behind home plate. And we went down there to figure out had anyone heard about this disastrous thing that happened to Terra last week? And sure enough, most people had not. We asked maybe two dozen, three dozen folks, including people who work there and also people who were regular patrons. And for the most part, there was just a bunch of quizzical looks. No, we don't know what Terra is. So even when there was this catastrophic failure of the Terra UST stablecoin, few people at the Nationals ballpark seemed to know or care. It's kind of a we're so early takeaway, <laughs> despite my best efforts to not do that. But it was interesting to look at how far yesterday's crisis in the crypto, I'm sorry, last week's crisis in the crypto markets penetrated into the mainstream. I'm going to toss this to Will for his initial thoughts on the Terra Club in DC. Yeah, who says reporting can't be fun? You got a free day at the ballpark. That's, that's pretty good with the boys too. I was really excited for you when I saw yeah, I was super excited. For it was you. good. No complaints here. We filed it from I-95. We published it uh, in Delaware on the road. And the story is there for all to see. It's a good story too. And I think it's, I like the historical stuff in there. You're talking about Enron. There's something like web, something that had like the same experience 20 years ago. They had a bunch of money. They threw it out ballpark. Before I knew it, that company went bankrupt. But the stickers, logos still all over the ballpark and still find to this day. In some cases, same thing with Terra. It seems like that's going to be there for a while because from the story said that they paid up front for all these advertisements. So it's done. It's a cash deal, right? So unless the ballpark comes back and says like, we want to get rid of this contract because we don't want to be associated with you, then it's probably going to stay there for a while. Uh, maybe Terra can try to reclaim some of that money and give it to its long departed UST holders. But I don't know if that's going to happen. It seems like it's, it's stitched into the seats, right? Like it's, it's in the seats. It's in the leather. You're not going to get that out easily. Jen give it to you. Confirm. Before I get into my take, Zach, something else exciting happened yesterday, I heard. And I think it was your birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Happy I can birthday, Zach. That. Your birthday. Yeah, yesterday was my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Happy, birthday yeah. Happy birthday. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs> How'd you know about birthday that? Birthday excitement. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an even C- older Control told now. 
Anyway, <laughs> thanks, Control. Back to you, Jen. <laughs> well, when I was reading the story, Zach, I was excited that you got to go to the baseball game. I was excited that you were asking all of the questions that were outlined in the article because I wanted to know the answer. Do people at the baseball game actually know about these companies that are emblazoned everywhere? Their names are sewn into the seats, especially when it's a crypto company. And it brought me back to a take I had on the show, I think like six months ago, when I said, when I brought up trust, right? All of these crypto companies are doing these big splashy advertisements and it goes back to trust. If I'm someone who's thinking about getting into crypto or I maybe heard about something from a friend or something on TikTok and I Google that and I see, oh, wow, Major League Baseball, they endorse this brand. It's alongside brands like Coca-Cola and McDonald's. I can trust this brand. I think what's happened to Terra will have a negative effect when it comes to the trust for other brands who are advertising in this way. So we have FTX, we have Crypto.com. I think once people start to learn about what's happened, uh, with the Luna implosion, it's going to maybe companies that have this at the top of their marketing strategy are going to have to rethink how they approach these big partnerships. But Wendy, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Terra still being sewn into the seats in the baseball stadiums. Yeah, I do. Thank you so much. I have a couple thoughts. But first, what did you eat? What was your favorite food item at the game? I had a really good bratwurst toward the end of the experience, but I will share that in the Terra Club, they have all sorts of dining options. There was an oyster bar. There was little like crab claws, shrimp cocktail. They had the whole gamut. It was a very luxury experience down behind the dish. Back to you. Awesome. All right. So there's a couple key pieces here. We're talking about a coin. Terra Luna is a coin. So that is kind of separates it because we're talking about FTX US or FTX sponsorships, or Crypto.com sponsoring the Staples Center. We're talking about an actual product versus an actual coin. So yes, there is going to be negative repercussions from this. But realistically, I feel like going out and buying Terra Luna might be a lot more complicated than actually using a crypto exchange or a crypto product. So I feel like there's a, dif- there's a difference there, which is good. However, because of this, there is going to be negative backlash. There's going to be, you know, people might not not understand the difference between a crypto exchange and a crypto coin, and they might just see all the headlines because let's face it, this is going viral right now. So overall, this could negatively impact crypto as a whole. But at the same time, I still do like to see representation from top crypto products like exchanges that are sponsoring these types of big events. I think it'll help for adoption. I think that's a great point, making that distinction. And, you know, Terra is not the only coin itself to be emblazoned on a Major League Baseball stadium, right? Here in New York City, we have uh, Tezos uh, on the center field scoreboard of the Mets, right? So it's interesting that uh, I think some of these big mainstream partners are getting a bit more creative in terms of some of the crypto sponsorships that they're taking. But I think Wendy's absolutely right. The distinction between, you know, companies, be it FTX or be it crypto.com versus protocols it's a bit apples and oranges that may that distinction may be being lost on most mainstream consumers. But Jen, I'll toss it to you. I think I disagree with you guys. I think if we look at a baseball game where a lot of people don't know about crypto, and that's what the article said, I don't think they're going to make the differentiation between an exchange and a coin. I think it just looks bad for crypto when we're talking about that particular audience. But I know we have to move on. I so will that's just say, my like, uh, like a little bit of a takeaway for me is that if I had $38 million to spend on advertising, maybe I wouldn't spend it at a ballpark, right? Just the level of Where awareness for it? what this thing was, wasn't great. It didn't seem like that $38 million mm-hmm. actually worked, right? We didn't talk to someone who had been working in this club and said, oh yeah, I bought Luna like when it was trading for 115. 
Thankfully, we didn't run into that story, but I think there is a world in which one could expect to have run into that story. That's just not a story that we encountered upon visiting the ballpark. And that's all I got. I think we're changing gears. Wendy, please, last thoughts, and then we'll, we'll switch stories. Really, really quick. I just like, when I, when I think about a crypto coin sponsoring like an event, something like that, a big event like baseball, how many times do we see logos for things? Do we actively Google search and figure out what this stuff is? So that's my only takeaway. Like, yes, it does look bad for crypto as a whole, but realistically, how many people at a baseball game are there Googling what Luna is or Terra Luna is? I don't know. Baseball games can be pretty long and boring. So uh, I'd probably be on my phone the entire time. <laughs> Known baseball Same. hater, Bill Foxley. To Goldman <laughs> and Barclays investing in Alan Howard's crypto trading platform. Alan Howard is a British billionaire, well-known in the TradFi and hedge fund world, being pretty successful. And he is booting up his own crypto trading platform. The headline here really is that TradFi and crypto are merging together and we have Goldman and Barclays behind it. Barclays has long been in the crypto game, but it's been very select about who it uses. It used to bank Coinbase. I think that fell apart a few years ago, though. Uh, so definitely interesting to see them back in the headline here. Goldman, of course, has also forayed into crypto in a few different ways, maybe with some Bitcoin loans and some trading desk activity. But for the most part, they've also stayed somewhat away. Uh, they've also had some like CBDC slash enterprise blockchain stuff out there as well. So interesting to see these two legendary big infrastructure bankers in the play here, investing into this company. Wendy, I throw it up to you for your take on a story. I actually love this. And when I hear stories like this, long-term, I'm very, very bullish on the entire industry because if we're seeing TradFi get involved with crypto. It's telling us that there's excitement. It's telling us that there's interest. So little stories like this, I think are mini victories for the entire crypto industry as a whole. So as somebody who actively trades and somebody who's actively investing, I think is a good thing. I think it's a positive thing. And I feel like after the whole debacle of last week is kind of sorted, I think that this will be good long-term for the entire industry. What if these markets are just the great reset for Wall Street to ape into crypto when they missed it during the last bull run? Think about that. I mean, I think there is stuff going on behind the scenes where these traditional finance firms are saying, okay, this stuff isn't going anywhere. We better get our ducks in a row for that next run. I think this, this sort of, not to, be like the, not to be the hopium guy, right? Not to be like, oh, it's all bullish. Too but late. like these are sort That's of my the role. clues. These are the clues. <laughs> this is like Being some usurped. little clues that show that <laughs> Wall Street firms are still trying to get a piece of this action. And the fact that we're seeing additional investment by Goldman to get into the crypto trading space, super notable to me. This is the thing. We've seen TradFi involved in crypto behind the scenes. Like I bet if there was very, very large internal audits done and you looked at everything, exactly where all their money was going, you would see that a lot of them are participating in crypto, but it's done under different names or different entities. So I'm that that's just a thought in my head. I don't have that proof to back it up, but I just feel like why all of a sudden we're hearing this entity coming and this entity coming. They've had their eye on it for a while. So when are we going to get a Goldman Barclays curve pool? That's, uh, that's the question. Zach, six months? Six months? No? Soon, soon TM. I'm just <laughs> peddling, soon TM. peddling that. Soon TM. I don't know. I think that level of degeneracy, else. you know, that level of like DeFi degeneracy may be a cycle or two out, but we've certainly seen a lot of institutional DeFi conversations pop up, whether that's on Ave Arc or other sort of like Fireblocks DeFi compliant stuff. That thing, I think, could get interesting. But again, I think 
the blowback from, you know, UST, Terra, Anchor, which was a key part of that package, right? Anchor was the yield platform that promised, you know, 20% returns on your stablecoin deposits. I think that stuff may give institutional DeFi a couple steps back. So actually, you know, I retract my soon TM and I say <laughs> next cycle. But Jen, throw it to you. Oh, well, I think my, my opinion was kind of shared amongst the three of you. This was a really exciting story for me. You know, previously, we've seen when the market is hot, traditional institutions dip their toes into, in various ways. But then when the market starts to cool off, those traditional institutions start to retreat. I think what we're seeing now, though, as we are either in a bear market or heading towards a bear market, depending on who you ask, these traditional institutions are using this as an opportunity to get into the market. No one is afraid about the future of crypto anymore. I think that crypto has proven itself. We know it's not going anywhere. And this is just another point towards that argument. So Morgan Stanley says that NFTs are next to watch after the collapse of UST. The bank's analysts say hyped and leveraged areas of crypto such as decentralized finance and crypto-backed stablecoins are seeing mass liquidations as it's becoming clear that all the elevated prices were traded on speculation with limited real user demand. Now, the report speculates that NFTs and digital land are next, citing that the reason that most people buy these assets are because they expect another buyer will purchase for a higher price. Now, Will, I need to get your take on this because we know how you feel about NFTs, but we also know how you feel about banking reports. And so I'm just really mm. curious to see what your takeaway is. <laughs> no, everyone say it with me, right? Okay. God give me the confidence of a first-year banking analyst talking about <laughs> crypto. It's always the same damn headline, right? You just like <laughs> come in with a hot take, misappropriate two different segments, two different markets. What do stablecoins have to do with NFTs? What does an algo stablecoin have to do with NFTs? Give me a hot take. Give me a 90K salary a year. Issue this report. Go home and call it a day. Like that's just pathetic. And we still see this rolling out. Every three weeks, we have a new one of these. And I don't. Like, what's it going to take for this to stop? Like, we need a total washout in the banking industry to stop for the bad crypto takes. It's not the crypto market that needs to be corrected. It's this banking industry that needs to be corrected. Like, <laughs> this has got to stop. We got to stop talking about these headlines or they just need to start writing, stop writing the reports because I can't do it anymore, Jen. I can't do it. I talk about it so just for this that. take. I always throw it to you so just for good. this. Every time I see anymore. it, and I'm like, yep, I'm doing one. it. That was the best one I've ever seen him do. It was so good. All right, I'll back him up. Yeah, I mean, the details matter here, right? Like UST and Luna collapsed for a very specific reason. And I think extrapolating that into another market segment entirely, the NFTs here, doesn't seem to fit, right? Whether NFTs, I think I will give them this. NFTs are built on speculation and are built on the idea that someone will come along and probably buy them for a greater value after you buy it, right? Whether that's at Mint or on secondary markets. That's fine. But the details that led to the demise of UST and Luna are so far removed from the details of the NFT market that this one, to Will's point, seems especially unfounded. But so it goes. These will continue to uh, promulgate themselves across the web. And hopefully, we'll have another great rendition of Will's rant about them sometime soon. I love the, but Jen, I love the rant. Take it. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say, you know, the report says, most people buy NFTs in metaverse land because they think someone else will buy it at a higher price. Did this Morgan Stanley sorry, analyst go and ask anyone who's purchased an NFT why they, why they bought that <laughs> NFT? Like, I, I want to know. I just want to know. Yes. Yeah. I want to know and the answer RG to penguins. that question. What's your take? <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, what do you got? 
So this is the thing. We're talking like obviously NFTs are part of crypto as a whole, but I feel like a lot of people still don't understand them. When I think of NFTs, I think of ownership of a specific piece of artwork or authentication or freedom for an artist, a creator, whatever it may be. So when I am buying an NFT, I am either buying it, I have different parts of my portfolio set up. I'm buying it to support an artist, to support an initiative, or I'm buying it to flip. So I think it's important to differentiate that part when it comes to it. But talking about an NFT ownership and talking about a Algo stablecoin, like Will said, is kind of silly because it's putting all this information together that's not really relevant because they're two completely separate entities in one group. So I think that these types of stories can be a little bit dangerous at the same time because you're, people are going to read the headline and they're not going to do any more research just because they're just going to see JPEG, speculation, crash, incoming. Yes, there does need to be a market for somebody to purchase your NFT after you buy it if you do decide to sell it. But that goes the same for anything. It goes the same if you're an eBay seller or you're a Craigslist seller or you're selling whatever it is. You have to have a buyer. And this also goes for traditional art as well. There might not be a buyer for what you have, and that's okay. It's just part of the market. It is okay. That was well said. Yeah. Will, we got to give you yeah. the final word here, man. You came in so hot. Mm, you need I to close it down. Take you it. need to land the Take plane. It, well, the thing is, Jen it, picks Will. them just to piss me off. Like She does, she sees these headlines and she always... <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Them. So it's not about... Like, the, it's not even about the news at this point. Done. <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> it's about the banter. I see you, Jen. People love right, the banter. The we got to give the people what they want. It's Wendy's we debut story. The, the best story for last. Hold on. Banter, yeah, it's, it's banter down. Shut it down. Mm-hmm. Wendy's first story on the hash. Here it is. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. This story is actually very, very exciting to me. So we had the president of El Salvador tweet this. And this was tweeted May 15th, 7.41 p.m. Tomorrow, 32 central banks and 12 financial authorities, 44 countries will meet in El Salvador to discuss financial inclusion digital economy, banking the unbanked. This is key here, banking the unbanked, the Bitcoin rollout and its benefits in our country. And then he goes on to list all of these different banks. So I understand, well, first off, there's a lot of different things to dissect here. Yes, we're talking about utilizing a true decentralized entity, Bitcoin, and merging it over with traditional finance. But when we look at El Salvador and what they've done, I think it's actually incredible. We have this country that's kind of been portrayed in a negative light in some instances. And we have a president that understands that is seeing what's going on. He's younger, he's with it, he sees what's happening in the world. And I really do believe he's doing the best he can to help his people and to also put Latin America on set. Like it's very, very important. And I feel the fact that we're seeing all these other countries that, are, that want to talk to him, want to hear what he has to say, and then make their own conclusion. I think that that's fantastic. And I think that this is how adoption happens. Yes, I understand that some people are not super excited with what he's doing in regards to Bitcoin. But at the same time, if he doesn't stand up and if he doesn't try to do something different, then we're just going to continue to be in this vicious cycle of money printing, which is that good for anybody? The bankers. Who would like to take over? The bank, well, the bankers. Good for them. Um, I can take over here really quickly. Did you read off the list of countries, all 44? I, I, I covered them a little bit in my show earlier, but I didn't read them off. But what's interesting about the list is not a lot of them are close at all mm-hmm. to El Salvador. They're outside countries. And he's saying um, Paraguay, Ghana, um, Uganda, Gambia, Jordan, Pakistan, Rwanda, Egypt, Nigeria. It's, yeah. you know, it's a very, very big, big, big list. But I think it's important to note that these countries, even though there's different cultures, they're different countries. 
They're interested to hear what he has to say. So is this kind of not only bringing in financial independence, but is it also kind of bringing peace in a sense? Because we see 44 different entities from all over the world come together to talk about one thing, which is Bitcoin. Yeah, I'd be interested to see like a cross list of which countries on this list have central banks and which ones don't. I think a lot of these are dollarized or they're using someone else's currency, like the yen or the euro. They're often exposed to different monetary policies from different countries, and they can't reap the benefits of having their own monetary policy. And even if they do have their own system of money, it's often like inflated away or very weak compared to other currencies. And so I think that's why this list is there, right? The other week, we saw Bukele also go to Turkey and Mexico. And a lot of people were like hyping that up, being like, oh, Bitcoin is going to adopt Bitcoin. Well, that wasn't true. Bitcoin, or, uh, Mexico has a very, very strong central bank with a very strong currency right now. Turkey does not have a very strong currency right now, but it does have a central bank that is very political and uses its monetary policy basically as a weapon to control the regime. Neither of those countries is going to accept Bitcoin for quite a while because it's not in their political interest. But these countries might have a political interest in doing it because they are exposed to the political outcomes of other countries. And it's almost like a foreign policy tool to be able to move your, your country to a currency that does not have all this meddling with it. Uh, I was talking about this this morning in Twitter spaces. I think it's years away before we see next one, maybe another small Latin American country like Panama or Honduras or something like that moves into the scene. But out of these ones, I wouldn't expect any country to move forward. But the fact that they're interested and they flew to El Salvador just to even have a discussion about it tells you that we're moving into the next chapter, right? We're flipping the page from the early chapters of Bitcoin into the next ones. Zach, I'll give it to you. I was just going to say, and sorry, Jen, actually, Jen had her hand up first. No, but no, I was no, just going to no. say go, this go, list, go. the list is kind of like the opposite of the G20, right? These are kind of the scrappy underdogs mm -hmm. of the global economy. Mm -hmm. And to think about the political ramifications of like some sort of, you know, organization here that gets on the same page as it relates to financial opportunities that aren't otherwise available to them that are made accessible by way of, you know, Bitcoinization in these, in these respective economies. That's really interesting to game out. I don't think that this is going to be something that happens overnight. Obviously, coordinating all these stakeholders will take time and people have different interests. But again, if there was some, we got to think of some name for this group of, group of countries because it is interesting to see this list and to, to see them beginning to reckon with ways that they can make a better financial situation for their populations. But Jen, I'm sorry, I'm throwing it to you. No, don't be sorry. I mean, I, I had a lot of the same opinions you did, Zach, and, and Will, I drew some of the same conclusions about the list of countries. I think it will be really interesting to see how the U.S. watches this meeting and interprets what comes out of this meeting. So we know that the United States regulators introduced a bill to mitigate the risks associated with El Salvador's Bitcoin law a few months ago. I can guarantee you that they're watching all of these countries come together in El Salvador and are thinking, what are they up to? And how, how do we meddle in this for lack of a better term? So it will be interesting to see what comes out from a US perspective as they put together so many committees and so many groups to watch what's happening in countries that they do not have really any power over. So that's my take. I wonder what they're up to. Wendy? I just want to say, I love the fact that you said they're putting together so many different committees. The more organizations you have, the more time it takes to take action because you have all this red tape sorted. So by the time the United States puts out another committee or puts out another bill or law or whatever it is, these countries could potentially move in the opposite direction and maybe catching up with them could take a little bit longer. And it's not like it's a bad thing. And I understand that this stuff does take time, 
But the fact that we're seeing something of this magnitude happen in El Salvador is pretty amazing, especially considering everything that's happened. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 